Good morning, everyone. I invite you to take... Whoa, that turns. I think we're good. I invite you to take your Bibles to Psalm 16, uh, where we just were reading. And as you're turning there, I do want to share... I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged this morning as I stand here and look out over the room uh, for two reasons. One, uh, this isn't usually what you want to hear somebody say, but you've grown. You're bigger. Uh, Last time I was here, uh, you're over um, at your other location, and yeah, crowd was smaller. Uh, And that's encouraging, especially summertime where people are traveling and out and visiting and Maybe you're visiting here today, this is your first time, I also want to welcome you. But I'm also encouraged uh, because of the presence of some of the launch team here from Port City. Really good to see you guys. And just the growth and the fact there's three churches represented here, Wayfarers, Port City. The top one. All right, oh yeah, it's a little loose, yeah. There we go, all right. So yeah, Wayfarers, Port City, Christ Church, three new churches in different stages. Uh, the growth we're seeing here, um, although I'm going to say what I've heard D.A. Carson say, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit. But I really hope this is a sign of Christ's name be made much of in Halifax and our city Uh, And many who are far from Jesus uh, would be close to him and made the brothers and sisters of Christ. Uh, That's what I truly hope. So as we look at Psalm 16, I'm going to reflect just on like what songs are and like how songs sometimes have different interpretations and meanings. And I'm not saying psalms, I'm saying songs like you hear on the radio or listen to or you plug into Spotify and rock out to or whatever. Let's go through a few popular songs and maybe continue the rhythm of hands up and down. You can vote with me what you think the meaning of this song is. And I've picked a few that are popular, or at least I think are popular, uh, to kind of help us out and be able to contribute to. Uh, So I'm gonna give multiple choice options and as I say each one, if you think, yeah, that, that sounds likely, Uh, throw up your hands. Uh, So the first one, I can't feel my face by the weekend, right? This is one that often gets thrown as this is a double meaning, is I can't feel my face just about how awesome a relationship is, or is it about drugs? (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of like the trope, isn't it? Like, oh, every song, the hidden meanings, drugs. Not all the time. Every breath you take by the police, you know, every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. Is that about just a a pure declaration of love for someone? It's a beautiful love song. Yeah, a few people think that. Is it maybe like someone who's maybe gone to an inappropriate place in the relationship? Maybe the relationship's ended, they're stalking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, is it about Big Brother always watching us? All right, now we know who the conspiracy theorists are in the room. What about this one? Closing time by Semisonic. 
Is this about the last call at a pub that is shutting down for the night? Or is this about impending fatherhood? That a man is writing about what it's going to be like to be a dad as his child is on the way. That's what Semisonic has said that song's actually about. This room won't be open until your brothers and your sisters come. Lots of like hidden meaning potentially there. And sometimes we, we might just like chalk it up to like revisionism. I think it was John Lennon who said every song really actually gets its meaning after it's been written and released. I actually think the Beatles are uh, an example of this. Of like, yeah, I'm not sure that's really what you meant, but you're saying it years later. Blackbird, I think that is just a song about a happy little blackbird spreading its wings and flying. But, you know, in the last, like, so many years, Paul McCartney has said, no, it's about racism. Or, actually, we can do the opposite. If we can forget the original meanings of songs. That the origins can get lost. Does anybody know the origin of Jesus Loves Me? Okay. I think this is like a plot twist when it comes to understanding and singing Jesus Loves Me. Jesus Loves Me originally was written and published in a novel. The poem is within the story, and it's a Sunday school teacher writing a poem for Johnny, who is a dying child. And this child can sing this song and embrace the gospel as he is in his last days. And in some of the, the lesser-known verses, that, that's really clear. Jesus loves me, he will stay close beside me all the way. Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I'm very weak and ill. The song is about, yes, Christ's love for us, but it's also about a dying child. It kind of gets dark. What do we do with the Psalms, Psalms? As we look at the book here, as we look at Psalm 16, how do we interpret them, but how do we like really latch on to them? Because they're not just like 10, 15 years old, they're like a few thousand years old, beyond that, thousands of years old, written on the other side of the globe by people who lived in a very different context from us. How do we hold on to and embrace the Psalms? How can we sing them with a full heart and, and, and really echo their meanings? Well, I think we need to look at this from like two different hands, two different pr perspectives. So on the one hand, we need to look at the Psalms as the author originally wrote them. So as David writes, it says, uh, David is the author uh, right there in verse 1. As we look at this, as we look at the psalm, we, we have to hold on to David's meaning and David's hope, his intent. And, and it is absolutely David saying, my life is so perfectly awesome because God is a part of it. Just let, let's do like a speed read of the main thoughts of the psalm. In, in verse 1, it's, it's a, a cry, a prayer Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. God, watch over me. Care for me like a shepherd watches the sheep. And then he goes on to these statements about God. I say to the Lord, he's talking to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He's saying, God, you're my only good, my only safety, my only hope. 
Everything that's good, God, comes from you. And that is true in our life, whether you realize it or not. Every good and perfect gift, as James says. He says this in James 1, 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Get this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down to the Father, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That every good gift you have, whether that be your kids, your paycheck, your car, your hobbies, the beating of your heart, that is all from the Lord. So David says, God, you are the only good. No, there's no good apart from you. He even says, I, I, I've got an excellent community around me. The saints in the land, they're the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. David delights in Israel, the people of God. He also reflects on the opposite of the community of faith. Those who are following after idols. And the fact is, with them, those who follow other religions, their sorrows shall be multiplied. The false practices that are going on there, David mentions one of them, and, and sorrows be multiplied beyond that. He, he references offerings of, of blood, but did you notice what kind of offerings they are? Drink offerings. I think one of the greatest examples we have of this downward spiral, multiplied sorrows of those who follow after false gods is actually shown to us in the Bible. A, a very like clear and quick example is when Elijah is facing off against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And, and, and there they are, both to call down fire uh, to their gods, Baal versus the God of Israel. So the prophets of Baal are, are calling for hours, and then finally they begin to cut themselves and inflict wounds. Still there is no fire. And after Elijah, after pouring water over and over again on the fire, fire comes down from God. He kills these 450 prophets. Their, their life ends. That may be very different from today, but it is still true if you're following after false gods and false religions, your sorrows shall be multiplied. And David says, God, verse 5, you're my inheritance, you're my chosen portion, my cup, you hold my lot, my boundaries, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He uses language of the table, like, God, you're the best cut of steak. You're my chosen portion. You're my abundant cup. You're the best meal I've ever had at the fanciest restaurant. God, that's what you are like. And God, I have these benefits of inheritance because of you. Maybe, maybe that's your cry, some of you, today. You think, well, once the inheritance comes, life will be better. You know, I could pay off some debt, Maybe I can have grandma's fine china I have my eye on for a very long time. Maybe I'll get the house. Maybe I can finally buy a house uh, once she kicks the bucket. And maybe you think that's how life will get better. Maybe you're making plans, which you should talk to somebody about. God is our inheritance. He's our hope. 
He's our trust. He is our security. He is also our counselor. David says, I bless the Lord in verse 7 who gives me counsel. Notice this, in the night also my heart instructs me. When you're lying in bed and you can't sleep in the middle of the night, the thoughts that keep you up, that you worry about, David says, God instructs my heart in those moments. The Bible, the word of God, God himself is able to instruct and to counsel, to help as those thoughts go on in the night. Then the psalm kind of takes a, a, a turn in verse 8 of like, so what? So what if all of these things are true? And David goes on, he says, I ain't shook in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I will not crumble. I will not fall because I've committed myself to the Lord. I am completely filled with joy in verse 9. And in verse 10, see this. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is interpreted maybe hell, but probably better, like the grave or the realm of the dead. Uh, you won't abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And he's, in the Psalms, in, in Hebrew poetry, it's very interesting, and it's happening a lot in this Psalm already, that there's repeated phrases, not necessarily like a repeated quote, not necessarily something repeated word for word, but theme for theme, thought for thought. And that really emphasizes truth. So when David says, I won't be abandoned in, in, in the grave, I won't, my body won't see corruption. He's putting weight on that thought, as he is with most of the other thoughts here. He says in verse 11, this grand statement, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that. that, that first part of verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. Especially after verses 9 and 10 and 10 about my soul not being abandoned in death. You're not going to let my body see corruption. Me see corruption. That, that thought of, of death. And then he goes on to say, you've made known to me the path of life. Some people think that like, Christianity is just mere like, life insurance, eternal life insurance, that you're avoiding death and you're avoiding uh, the, the pain, the loneliness, the darkness, all those isolation, hell, all those thoughts we think of when we think of death. We're just avoiding all that. But friends, Christianity is not preparation for death. Someone has said, no, Christianity is actually preparation for life. It is preparation for life. Now we read Psalm 16, and this is where we can go wonky after reading it. We can begin to say in our hearts, really? Like, really, David? There's some sentiment here but is it just that? And we can do that with like 
the songs, right, we hear on the radio or we listen to on Spotify. It's poetry. There's symbolism there. We really can't go too literal into the songs. Little Blackbird, you know, all of your life, all of it, you were only waiting for this moment to to arrive. Like, didn't you ever think about anything else, Blackbird? Sting, really, every move I make, every breath I take, I think I can get a couple of those by you. Not every single one. And then we can begin to say that about God and the Psalms. Even in ways we're not even recognizing for a while. God, are you really my only good? Will those who follow after God's other gods really See sorrows multiplied? Because I'm not seeing that right now. God, will you really counsel my heart at night? Because I've had a lot of sleepless nights lately. And a lot of anxiety about this and that. And and God, you know, but where's the counsel? David, you're really not going to see corruption God really won't abandon you in the grave because your tomb still exists. When I was 14, I had the privilege of going over to Israel and we toured the Holy Land and we went to Jerusalem for a few days. And one of the stops in Jerusalem was the tomb of David. I've seen his grave and probably it's not the actual location anymore, but the thought is still there at least. There was a grave in Jerusalem of David's And his remains, probably just dust now, are in there. He saw corruption. So there's got to be some kind of symbolism here. Is this just wishful thinking? Is that what the saints in the Old Testament sang as time went on and David dies and the kingdom is taken from them and they're slaves in Babylon and they come back and the temple is just a mere... uh, picture of what it used to be and all the old people are complaining because it's not like it was when they were a kid they're just singing this is it just like hurrah for good times we're trusting in the Lord but we can only go so far before it's we hit the wall of like what's really true and we go into the realm of just wishful thinking and exaggeration It is poetry, but it is true. What happens with the Psalms is what happens with really all of the Old Testament is that they undergo a Copernican revolution. In science, you know, there there was at one time this Copernican revolution, which back in the day, most people for a long time believed that the sun revolves around us. But Copernicus showed up and said, hey, actually, I think, if we look closely, we revolve around the sun. That's what happens in the Old Testament, that we might read this, we might think that God revolves around us, David's life is so great, but really what happens when the New Testament comes and God the Son, S-O-N, shows up 
takes on flesh, lives the life you should have lived, and dies the death you deserve, and rises from the grave, we realize that all of humanity, all of our purpose, all of God's plans, all of our good revolves around the Son. And even when you get there in your spirituality, I realize, yes, there are benefits in God, but my life orients all of it around the Son. It, it, it is night and day difference in your faith. So on the one hand, we have David's writings, his original thoughts. God's my only good, I'm going to live forever. Praise God, uh, the, the saints are awesome. Which we might even be like, David, really, have you been around a church for very long? Some of the church people out there are the worst people I know. How, how, how can we say all of my delight is in, in the saints? So that's the one hand. Now on the other hand, we have to go here to Acts chapter 2 and actually see David's original meaning. On the other hand, not just David, but also Jesus. Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 2 with me. This is the sermon of Pentecost. Peter is there preaching, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says this, verse 29 of Acts chapter 2. Actually, no, sorry, let's back up to verse 22. So Acts 2, 22, Peter's preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness, with your presence, Psalm 16. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about this patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that all God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set on uh, one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstools, your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter, 
standing up in Jerusalem, the same city which 53 days previous, previous killed Jesus, 50 days previous he rises from the grave, and then only 10 days previous ascended into heaven. He is now preaching of this Jesus and, and speaks to them whom they killed. And I love that. Peter answers the question. It's like, well, did Jesus die because of the sovereign, predestined plan of God or because people decided to kill him? And he says, yes. But he couldn't stay dead. God raised him for what David said. It was impossible because David was speaking of Jesus. David knew he says, David, it was revealed to him. And I love how he introduces David, the patriarch, the, the father, our king, the one we all know about. His tomb is right over there. He's probably pointing. It's still in Jerusalem. And maybe the same one, the original one at that time. I love how he brings David's royalty, his fatherliness to Israel. He's establishing this guy is pretty credible. This isn't crazy Dave who's downtown who talks to pigeons that a few of you know. This is King David. David, whom it had been revealed to. He is speaking as a prophet. He knew from Nathan's revelation by the Spirit, as it says in Psalm 132.11, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body I will set on your throne there will always be a king David an eternal king on the throne from your seed so David speaks and he is speaking honestly and truthfully but he's also speaking of Jesus that the holy one he will not have his soul abandoned in Sheol and Hades his body will not see corruption because Peter says, look, David's body saw corruption, but Jesus did not. He rose from the grave. Death could not hold him. This isn't necessarily a proof for the resurrection, but a proof that the risen one is the Messiah that David spoke of. Because Peter goes to the evidence, we've seen this. We know the grave is empty. We saw him risen. Paul says there's over 500 witnesses. And this isn't even Peter being weird about this interpretation. Paul, in Acts 13, also quotes Psalm 16 to prove the Messiahship and the resurrection. Even though it was public knowledge. It had already been spread at this time. This tomb is empty. The reason was wrong. It was spread that the disciples stole the body. But everybody knew that now. This tomb is empty. He is not there and Peter says it's because of what David said, he will not die, he will not see corruption. And beyond that, Psalm 110 he goes to, he has ascended. He is at the right hand of the Father and all of his enemies are going to be under his feet. Now that's a big deal for Israel because they kind of just killed him, right? I think that's a pretty good like, job description of someone who's an enemy. What do enemies do? They kill you. So they're cut to the heart. They, 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 they respond to this. It, it, it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter 
and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So I want to put that to you. What shall you do? On the one hand, if you are far from God, if you do not know Jesus and know this hope, know his resurrection power and life, if you would not consider yourself a, a, a Christian, I like what Calvin has said. He said, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless. All of this is useless. That This hope of your body not seeing corruption, joy everlasting, good coming from God that you can own and receive and worship in is useless unless you have faith in Christ. So I would say the same thing Peter says to you. Peter said in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. To take on his name for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But to take on his name is to identify with him, to come under him. It's kind of like your last name shows which family you are from. To, to be in Christ, to take on his name, to show that you are his. So I would challenge you, give yourself to Jesus. Believe in him. Repent of your sins and be baptized. If you are unfamiliar with what that might mean or what that might look like, I encourage you to, as it says in the worship guide, come up to the front after and talk about that. But for those of you who are in Christ, who have taken on his name, we have the other hand of application. Rejoice in this. David goes and, and, and says... My life is full of gladness with your presence. Verse 28. Verse 26. Therefore my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. Joy should be our response to knowing that Christ is risen. And now we have his life. Ephesians 2.6. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as Jesus has risen, just as he has seated at the right hand of the Father, we are raised up and seated with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 21, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. The first fruits. At, at our old place, we, we just moved recently and uh, we moved in July, so I really couldn't, and there wasn't a garden there in our new place, but our old place had lots of trees. And I didn't really know, I'm not a great gardener at all, but I didn't really know what certain trees were until the fruit showed up. Like, oh, that's a cherry tree. That's a plum tree. That's a pear tree, I think. I'm still waiting for the pears. That's a fig tree. Weird. I didn't know we could get figs in Nova Scotia. We got one fig. But usually a first fruit shows like the fruit comes, it's the first one, but more are coming after it. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave, the fact that his body did not see corruption, means, friends, someday you will rise. Someday you can sing with full confidence, 100% surety, not just poetic license. You will not abandon me in the grave. My body, my, me, a holy one, will not see corruption. And that right there, friends, is where God counsels your heart in the night. When you are lying in bed and you are terrified of death, remember, death is not the end. 
death is the last enemy being defeated and you will rise and you have heaven as your home where every tear is wiped away, where all sickness and sin is removed and you have the son who is at the right hand. So grab hold of Psalm 16 with both hands. What David says and his hope and confidence, but also seeing it through Jesus and that he is alive and risen and you will be always too. That is our hope, friends. That is our assurance. That is why we can sing the Psalms. Let us pray. Father, you have given us Jesus, your Holy One that you did not abandon, that your covenant was full and sure and sealed by his death and resurrection. You have given us him, God, so that we also might have life and confidence and joy. Press that into our hearts now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.